Good morning. I am Cameron, one of the pastors here. It's so good to see you. And let me just say out of the gate that I have prepared hard, I've prayed hard, but I have felt a very unique spiritual warfare this morning. I confess that to the team. And in my experience, that can only mean one thing. The enemy does not want some of you to hear this message. Amen. And so we want to pray that God would use this. And I believe he really wants to use this to set some people free this morning. Because the title of my message is this. All kinds of grace for all kinds of people. From Matthew 8, 1 through 17. Now, I don't know if you heard the story, but one of my favorite stories from 2018 concerned a University of Oregon junior named Justin Galagos. I don't know if you heard this story or not, but he developed cerebral palsy as a kid and had to use a walker for most of his life until the physical therapist improved his stride. And as he grew up, he gained a passion for running and he eventually made his high school's cross country team. And then as the time went on, he grew stronger and more confident, and he had a big dream to make the running team at the University of Oregon. Now, his handicap kept him from meeting the club's standards, but he had so much perseverance that he kept showing up anyway. And his determination became a source of inspiration, and they eventually relented and let the young man on the team. And eyewitnesses say that during his first collegiate race that he shocked the audience. No more than 50 meters into his run, his shoe fell off. One of his shoes fell off because of the way his feet were turned inward. And the ticking clock and his desire to do well caused him to, to light out with only one shoe on, the other one in his left hand. But his teammates knew they wouldn't, he wouldn't make it to the end, so they shouted him back, and he got his shoe, and he ended up finishing that race dead last. You know, that's his usual finishing place. But his effort and his determination impacted the crowd in the same way that it had impacted his team. So much so that his story caught the attention of Nike. And Nike began to work with him to design special shoes for handicapped athletes that were easier to slip into and that would not slip off as easy while they were running. And then in October of 2018, he got the surprise of his life. Uh, a Nike CEO showed up at his cross-country practice and surprised him by offering him a professional running contract. And I think we've got a picture here. And he became the first professional athlete in history with cerebral palsy. And, and I love this picture. Just look at it. It's pure elation. I mean, he is overwhelmed with gratitude. Now, if you think about it, what caught the attention of Nike wasn't Justin's performance, it was his heart. Nike, in a very real sense, offered an incredibly gracious contract to a very unlikely recipient. And it opened the doors for future unlikely recipients, different kind of athletes, to receive similar contracts as well. And City Light, as compelling as this story is, we see something even more moving in Matthew chapter 8. More so than a CEO, more so than that authority, in this chapter, we come face to face with the authority of the universe. So in the Sermon on the Mount, we listened in on Christ's authoritative words. Now we're going to see on display his authoritative deeds. In fact, his actions in chapter 8 serve to show us one great thing that Christ has authority over every single arena of life. He has power over diseases. He has power over his disciples. 
This man even has power over natural disasters. He has power over the demonic. So we could say at a high level, the big overarching point of chapter 8 is this. Jesus possesses absolute authority in the world. Therefore, he warrants absolute allegiance from the world. Simply put, this means that if you want to be a follower of Jesus, he demands that you trust him with every single aspect of your life. Amen? we got to go all in. Now, as I prayed over this message this week, I felt the Spirit of God causing me to drill down into verses 1 through 17. We're going to focus on the section where we see Christ healing people of sickness and disease. But understand that beneath these miraculous healings, we see something much deeper and even more miraculous. We see an authority figure, infinitely greater than a Nike CEO, offering something infinitely more valuable than a running contract. And he does it to three of the most unlikely recipients that you'll ever meet. And so here's the simple big idea of my message this morning. Christ pours out his grace on outcasts like us so that we can be welcomed into his kingdom. Jesus pours out his grace so that people like us can be welcomed in. You know, City Life, this is really good news this morning, especially for those of us who got picked last for the team, or who maybe, maybe never made it even on the team, who always stayed in the JV level. For those of us who never quite fit in with the in crowd, understand that receiving the favor of God is not based on your attractiveness, your ability, or your performance. God's grace is simply received by faith, by humbly trusting your heart to Jesus. Now, this is mainly an encouraging word, but this can be a tough pill to swallow for insiders. If you come from a strong pedigree, if you finish at the top of your class, if you have excelled in nearly every single thing you've put your hand to, it'll be hard for you to admit your need for spiritual help. But listen, y'all, sin is the great equalizer. It levels the playing field. It renders all of us outsiders when it comes to entering the kingdom of God. Though you might have had superlatives associated with your name all the days of your life, the only way you'll get to heaven is by trusting in the name above all names, the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we move into the text, here's the first thing this morning that we learn about the way Christ pours his grace out. There's practical teaching about physical healing here. So here's number one. It's a bit wordy. Hang with me. Jesus has the power to heal us physically, but he always has good reasons when he chooses not to. Christ has all power. He can heal us, but sometimes he chooses not to. And it's always for our good, though that's hard to swallow sometimes. Verses 1 and 2 say, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, this would have been a most shocking scene. A leper stricken with a horrendous disease bursts through the crowds, and he throws himself in front of the Savior. Now, taking a moment to learn a little something about leprosy helps us to understand why this is so shocking. For people in ancient Israel, it was the most dreaded disease. 
It was a contagious skin disease that not only affected the skin's color and texture, and even it gave the skin a terrible odor, but it also damaged the nervous system. Uh, Lepers oftentimes couldn't feel pain, and they would lose the tips of their fingers and even the, the soles of their feet because they couldn't feel the heat from fire or the cut of a knife. And this made their skin especially susceptible to diseases. And there are actual accounts of lepers losing their ears, their their noses, and even their limbs. So it was a cruel disease that deformed the people that contracted it. But for the Jews, that wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the separation that went along with it. According to Leviticus, if you were a leper, you had to wear torn clothes. You had to keep your hair unkept, wild, in a messy bun. You had to cover your mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean, when people came near you. You had to keep other people from catching your disease. But not only were they social outcasts, worst of all, they were spiritual outcasts. They were considered to be cursed by God. They were banished from God's people, and they had no access to the temple. So you can imagine when such an unholy one comes face to face with the perfectly holy one, it creates a tense scene. Now listen. Though the leper is an outsider in every imaginable way, when he opens his mouth, he reveals tremendous theological insight. He says here, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so along with the crowds, he was astonished at Jesus' authoritative teaching. And he had seen him in action. And so he recognized that Christ, this Savior, this teacher, had all power to heal him But he did not know if it was in his plans to heal him. He said, Lord, if you will. Church, this leper is articulating that God has a sovereign ability, but also a sovereign will. Jesus always has the ability and power to heal anybody. But sometimes it's not in his will to do so. Whatever the case may be, we need to understand that Christ always acts according to what brings him the most glory... And what brings you the most ultimate good? Now, in our finite minds, it's hard for us to understand how God's goodness can square with him choosing not to heal us. But here's the way this helps me. Or here's what I have to do to get my heart there. We've got to remind ourselves, we've got to anchor ourselves in the truth again and again and again that our God is perfectly good. There are no flaws in the character of God. And if we're in Christ, he loves us perfectly. Therefore, every sickness, every disease, every cancer cell that we might encounter is ultimately filtered through the love of God. Again, it's hard, but according to God's sovereign plan, sometimes the most loving thing he does for us is heal us. But other times, the most loving thing he does for us is not heal us. You might be asking, well, Cameron, I get how healing me promotes my greater good, but how on earth can not healing me of my physical pain promote my good? Well, let me show you how this works out in the Apostle Paul's life. God allowed physical suffering into the preeminent Christian for his good. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, we learn that Paul had a thorn in the flesh, Now, we don't know exactly what this was, but most theologians agree it was some type of physical pain. And on three different occasions, the apostle Paul himself begged God to take it away. But God refused 
because he had reasons behind the pain in Paul's life. Now, ultimately, God allowed this thorn in the flesh to keep this man humble. You see, Paul received so much revelation and insight that he had to keep him from being puffed up. So as opposed to taking the thorn away, he left it in place and said to Paul in verse 9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So ultimately, God inflicted Paul with pain to teach him that his strength or his great apostolic ministry didn't lie in his personal power. It, it lied in his dependency on the sufficiency of Jesus. So to bring this down to where we're at, here's what this means, city like. Though you might not know all the reasons behind the pain that God might have allowed in your life, if he had reasons for Paul's pain that served his good, he's got reasons for your pain as well. And though you can't see it, though you might never see it this side of eternity, it will serve some good in your life and it will bring God glory. Again, we'll never know all the reasons for suffering, but the Bible does give us a peek as to some benefits that suffering brings us. Uh, suffering produces a deeper character in our lives. It actually helps us to be more conformed to the image of Jesus. It strengthens our faith. Um, it allows us to then turn around and comfort other people after we've suffered, maybe in the same way that they're suffering. And I think suffering also helps us to not get too comfortable here by helping us to always be looking forward to the better world to come. Now, personally in my life, I have seen God's glory on display through healing and through not being healed. And I was reminded this week at the time that I prayed the most desperate prayer I've ever prayed when I was in Haiti training pastors. The night before we were supposed to leave to come home, I accidentally brushed my teeth with tap water. And that is a big no-no there. And to put all my cards on the table, I got the worst diarrhea I have ever had in my life. And listen, y'all, it lasted all the way up until the time that we had to board a rickety boat for a two-hour boat ride back to the main island. It wasn't much more than a large raft with a motor, and there were zero bathrooms on board. And this is the truth. I'm not, being, I'm not making this up just for a good story and a sermon. At that boat dock, I literally knelt down and grabbed a small tree, and I prayed, Jesus, I demand that you take this diarrhea away. I'm not usually one to name and claim stuff, but I was naming it, and I was claiming it. I said, there will be nobody benefit from my backside off the side of a raft. No good. No glory will come. And as silly as it all sounds, the moment I stood up, every bit of pain in my body went away. The diarrhea ceased. And I praised God and actually enjoyed the boat ride back across the tumultuous sea. Now, fast forward to 2018, and for months, and it's not even over yet, I've been struggling with chronic migraines. Y'all know this. And I have prayed that God would take them away. They've knocked me out of preaching at times, and they've made preaching tough on other occasions. Other people have laid their hands on me and have prayed that they might go away. But God did not immediately answer those prayers. He has answered them, but not immediately. And I've noticed in my life that refusal to heal me has brought about good in at least a couple of ways. First, as with Paul, it helped me to realize that God's his power is made perfect in my weakness. 
even on days when I felt like my performance was off, I heard of people still getting saved through my ministry. God was still working through my weakness. And so he taught me a valuable lesson, that, that the power for my ministry lies in the message I herald and not in the health of a frail messenger. And then secondly, these headaches, as they finally begin to relent, they produced a newfound gratitude in my heart for the good days, for the days that I had previously taken for granted. Now, now the normal days are so much more worshipful as I regularly rise and say, God, thank you that for at least today there's no pain in my brain, that there's clarity as opposed to dizziness. And so sometimes God heals and sometimes he doesn't heal, but it's always for his glory and for our ultimate good. But in the case of the leper, he chooses to free this man from the awful disease. And verse 3 says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. Now, we do not know how long this man had been a leper. But it is likely the case that he had not experienced physical touch in a very long time. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Imagine how that felt. No handholds, no handshakes, no hugs, no reassuring hands placed on your shoulder for days, for weeks, for months, maybe even years. But here we see the compassion of Jesus transcending this man's contagion. Jesus stretches out his hand and touches him, and something remarkable happens. You see, according to Leviticus 5.3, if anybody touched a leper, normally they became unclean. But church, that doesn't happen in this case. As opposed to Jesus becoming unclean, when he touches the man, the leprosy flees from his body and the leper becomes clean. And there's a deeper meaning here. This event also points us forward to a day when Jesus will take on all the impurities of humanity so we can be welcomed back in God's presence. It foreshadows the time when Christ will eventually become wounded so that we can be cleansed from all of our sins. That's why he actually warns the leper in verse 4, like, hey, keep this between us. Don't go out and spill the beans. He did not want the world to be misinformed about his ultimate purpose. See, some people were only after a wonder-working Messiah who would suddenly overthrow the Roman government. But understand, God's plan was much deeper than this. He had a far better plan. Jesus would eventually defeat death and all the dark powers on the earth, but he would do it by dying a cruel death on the cross. And this event foreshadows that. So now let's further explore this truth in the second instance we see in this text of Jesus pouring out his grace on another outcast. So here's number two, and these second two go quicker. Physical healing is good, but spiritual healing is always better. Physical healing is good, but when God heals our hearts, that is always better. So notice verses 5 and following. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. Now, here we see Jesus responding once more with more compassion to another unlikely candidate. Here he moves toward an ethnic outcast. And this man who makes this request would have been shunned for two major reasons. First of all, he was a Gentile. 
He was not a part of the people of God. Secondly, he was a member of the Roman military. So he was actually oppressing and opposing the people of God. And it would have also been incredibly unusual for him to have such deep-seated concern for his paralyzed servant. In the Greco-Roman world, the average slave owner had no more regard for a slave or a servant than they did animals. I mean, listen to how horrendous. Roman writer Varro once said, The only difference between a slave, a beast, and a cart is that a slave can talk. And then the high-ranking soldier's peers, they would have been appalled by this request. Why would he stoop so low to beg the help of a common Jewish carpenter to heal somebody that he only viewed to be a piece of property? Well, listen, y'all, Jesus responds favorably to this man's audacious ask. And he's demonstrating here that his grace transcends all ethnic boundaries. And he announces his plans to even go into and to heal the paralyzed man or the young man in his home, demonstrating that every single person has dignity. City Light, understand that in the eyes of our Lord, and it should be the case in our eyes as well, there are no second-class citizens, amen? But in verse 8 and following, it's fascinating, the centurion rejects the offer. We should read this again. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you that no one in Israel, in no one in Israel, have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion said to Jesus, uh, and, and the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you've believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Now, you've got to understand that when Christ offered miraculous healing, he's always most concerned with the undercurrent of faith with the people he's dealing with. And this is because the greatest and most lasting thing that Christ could ever do for anybody was not just to heal their bodies but to heal their hearts. And as this centurion articulates this great faith, all the attention goes away from the paralyzed servant and squares up on this man. Jesus marvels at his faith, and he sets forth his faith as an example. So therefore, we can learn something this morning from his faith about how it is we make it into the kingdom of heaven, how outcasts like us can get in. So first of all, the centurion was a man of great authority, but he realized there is a far greater authority. He's confessing unworthiness. He recognizes that Jesus doesn't even have to come to his house. He can heal this man with a word. And so, City Lot, I think the first step to being saved is to recognize that we're all broken, that we're all spiritually bankrupt. We have to come to the end of ourselves we have to understand that our salvation will never be attained through earning ranks or through our family background. You know, when Jesus says that, hey, many of the sons of the kingdom, the Jewish people will go into outer darkness, that was because they were trusting in their ethnicity for salvation. 
But the way instead that we get in is by recognizing that we have no inherent power, no goodness, no pedigree that can save us from our sin problem. The way we get saved is by simply trusting in the authority of Jesus to save us from our sins. That's how we're saved. Turn from sins, trust in his authority. Secondly here, we get a glimpse into the ultimate purposes of the miracles of Jesus. Understand that in the Gospels, the miracles aren't just raw displays of power designed to give Jesus popularity. Remember, he didn't want that. He pushed back against that. Ultimately, the miracles point forward to where Jesus wants to take the world. And so in Mark chapter 8 and chapter 9, as he presses into, as he blesses people in dark places, as he alleviates suffering, it serves as pointers. The miracles serve to point us backwards, and then they point us ahead. So they point us back to the way the world was when God first made it, before sin entered the picture. Understand that death, decay, and suffering are actually against God's original design. In the beginning, in the garden, humanity lived in literal paradise. They enjoyed a perfect and pain-free existence with God and with one another. They sat around in their birthday suits all day and drank LaCroix and just passed time. It was glorious. Then the miracles ultimately served to point us ahead to where Christ will take the world. They point us to his great second coming. Someday Jesus will return and he will make every single thing right. He'll wipe every tear away from every eye and he'll set up the new heavens and the new earth. And I love the way that verse 11 casts this picture. It presents the dawning of this brand new day like a great feast. It'll actually be like, be like one big family reunion. And all of us who are in Christ, no matter our ethnic backgrounds, will be welcomed to the table. And once again, God's people will enjoy a perfect and pain-free existence forever and forever in the presence of our Savior. And so, City Light, it's okay to pray for physical healing for yourself and for other people. In fact, I reflected when my grandfather had his massive stroke this past summer. On a particular night, I waited for the room to clear. And I went in there alone. And I laid my hand on his chest, and I begged that God would take him out of the coma. I prayed that he might give him the opportunity to meet my son Knox, his future great-grandson. I pleaded with God for just a few more years with this man. But listen, ultimately, as you know, God did not grant this request. And in a sense, it was devastating. But as the funeral home workers came, and as they began to carry his body away, there arose in my heart a great consolation. Because God brought this to mind. While he did not choose to heal him physically in that moment through my prayers, years ago... For a multitude of people praying, he chose to give my grandfather the greater spiritual healing. And see, since Mayford Debity, as I shared in an earlier sermon, had trusted his life to Jesus, it really was just a temporary goodbye. See, someday my papa and I, we will enjoy our complete healing together forever as the ages roll on and on and on. The same for any loved person that you've lost who are in Christ. And so physical healing is good, but spiritual healing is always far better. Because listen, even if God heals us in the here and now, we are mortal beings. We're still going to get sick again. 
and we're all going to die. But spiritual healing, trusting in Jesus for salvation, it guarantees vitality, life in the age to come. Therefore, we should reserve our most passionate praying for spiritual healing and not just physical. And so Jesus heals the servant, but it becomes a bit of an afterthought. Because spiritual healing, the the healing that the centurion's faith points to, that's what Christ ultimately came to offer. Now, let's end by considering how Christ secured our healing. How is it that he actually saved us? Well, it's revealed in the context of him pouring out his grace on another unlikely recipient. And when we see this threefold repetition of him pouring his grace out on outcasts, it must just mean one thing. Everybody's welcome in. We can't ignore that throughout this message. So number three, here's how Jesus secured our salvation. He suffered so that he could put an end to all suffering. It was through his personal suffering. Notice again verses 14 through 17. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. And he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons. And he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now, this final scene pictures Jesus healing the culturally marginalized as he lays his hand on Peter's mother-in-law. Now, how was she an outcast? What was the issue with her? Well, understand, in those days, that women were viewed as second-class citizens. For example, even in the Jewish synagogue, the ladies had to stay in the very, very back. And there was a screen kept up to keep them from seeing the proceedings. And listen to this. The average devout Jewish man prayed this prayer every day of his life. Lord, I thank you that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. I mean, what a jerk. Just think about praying that every day. Well, without her even asking, Jesus takes the initiative and he moves toward her and he takes the fever away. And again, City Light, once again, it's communicating emphatically that the gospel's for everybody. Everybody is an equal image bearer. And Jesus gives everybody the equal opportunity to be recreated in the image of God through his saving work. And then Matthew ends this passage by citing the fact that Christ healed many other people. He cast out demons. And then verse 17 is vital. Because connected back to my point three, Matthew makes it clear that the ultimate purpose of his healing ministry was to fulfill this great prophecy. The one we find in Isaiah 53. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. This points us once more to what Christ ultimately came to do. He ultimately came to end all suffering by ushering in a brand new age of the kingdom. Jesus entered the earth to reverse the curse, the curse and to restore the earth. But listen, for this to happen, sin has to be atoned for. We serve a just God. He has to judge sin, and he will not simply wink at our sin. He won't let us simply wander into his kingdom in our current condition. We need somebody to take away our sin 
so that we can be welcomed back in. And City Light, this is precisely what our Savior Jesus accomplished on the cross. The glorious news of the gospel is that our transgressions have been transferred to his account the moment we trust in him. Jesus Christ suffered in an unspeakable way so that he could eventually alleviate all the suffering we face on the world. Let these words soak in. I want the scriptures to speak for themselves. That prophecy goes on to say this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Now, I want to close with this. The Bible teaches that when the body of Christ was broken, the veil in the temple was torn in half. The veil that separated humanity from the presence of God was split from the top to the bottom. But understand that that was not the only veil that was torn. You see, the temple was incredibly compartmentalized. There was the Holy of Holies, the place for only the high priests. There was the holy place, the place for the regular priests. Then you had the court for men, and that was for Jewish men. Then you had the separate court in the back for women, for Jewish women. Then you had the court of the Gentiles. Then you had the external temple walls that kept people like lepers out. But see, I understand that these three miracles, the miracles we've studied, they ultimately serve to show us that every single one of these walls are now torn down. The walls of the court of women, they're obliterated. The walls of the court of the Gentiles, they are destroyed. And even beyond that, the walls of the temple compound, they've been leveled so that lepers, the lepers of the world, can even wander in God's kingdom. Understand that through the person and work of Jesus, that the gates to the kingdom of heaven have swung wide open. And anybody can enter in if you'll simply turn from your sins and trust in Jesus to cover your sins, to atone for your sins. You know, it sounds so cliche, but it's so true. The ground truly is level at the foot of the cross. See, City Light, Jesus poured out his grace. He poured out his very life. He would go on to be incredibly wounded to the point of death on the cross so the outcasts like us could be welcomed back in. Let's stand together and pray. We're going to take communion this morning. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray even now, um, God, that your spirit would make this word come alive in our hearts. Um, God, we thank you for this glorious news, but we need you to do for us what you did for these three unlikely characters. God, give us eyes to see the goodness of your grace. And help us to not hold back. Help us to see that we can come to you just as we are. For you came to us to heal us, to cleanse us, to transfer our woundedness on your shoulders. So God, my simple prayer this morning might be you would save somebody. Somebody that has never felt good enough. Somebody on the outsides. Oh God, draw them into your kingdom. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.